I don't think consumers differentiate between 85, 95, and 90. People only differentiate between zero and hundred. At the top, there's only room for one, right? I believe in India, 80% of celebrity usage in advertising that I see is not thought. Creating is easy. What to create is a million-dollar question. Hi. You're listening to Marketing with Vani in which I speak to marketing gurus. Together we decode how marketing works in the real world to grow your business. For all B2B companies that I have consulted with, do you know what is the first, the only and the most obvious marketing challenge they state? Help me with my proposition. How can prospective clients immediately get what I offer? or why must they buy me in this episode i'm speaking with rohit bhayana managing partner and co-founder of lumis lumis partners invest in companies that solve problems for smes rural and elders or the aged population using technology and data rohit explains the most common challenges faced by b2b companies what must they look out for and what it takes to be successful given technology can always be copied how do you take the decision on which is a company which is a good company to invest in what are you, what do you look for as an investor so when i think the foremost thing in whether it's b2b or b2c really doesn't matter is the sharpness of the use case what is the problem you're solving and right. and i think you'll realize that uh, uh, we all create uh, multiple complexities in how we ingest the understanding of the problem and therefore in how we express the solution set and then how we position and sell the solution set so i think in in the founders and the key management one of the thing which defines them apart is how simply can they lay that connection between what are they solving for and how they're solving for the what and the how is is what i have so often see uh breaks down and that should be the easiest thing it should be the easiest right. thing that's what you exist for and that's what your whole venture is about so i think the moment you cross the chasm on that that you very explicitly said this is the problem you're solving and this is how you're going about it forget whether your approach at it is the right approach or the wrong approach whether it's commercially successful or not whether your pricing is right or not your competitive landscape is right or wrong but for anyone who's on the outside of your business trying to understand from you what and why are you driven towards solving that problem is very important so that's to me the first thing because of which i'll cross the first 5 minutes or not hmm. so what you're saying is explain to me as a founder what is the problem that you're solving for and is the solution that you're presenting compelling enough are you able to explain to me it's almost as though you're are you able to pitch to me what you are offering in simple words that i immediately get it ah this is the problem you're solving this is why i might need you if i'm in blah blah circumstances or if i'm running blah blah business or if i have or i'm this kind of a consumer or i have this problem then why i need you must be amply clear precisely great and um, with b2b companies specifically rohit do you feel that this is something that uh, you find in the many presentations that you get in the many pitch decks that you get do you think that this is something that b2b founders struggle with hugely hugely and i and i think we you know as a, as much as i said this is simply done it it is simple to be done it's not simply done 
and and that's that's where the problem lies. We all um, in the manifestation of the how overcomplicate the problem. The problem is always simple. The problem is set simply. It is how we internalize it and solve for it that we overly complicate it, and actually we end up solving sometimes the wrong problem. And I'll take an example for you. And, and, you know, this typically applies that a lot of startups in India were focused on the the grocery supply chain. Let's, let's take right. it. Right. right. Uh, and that supply chain, are you talking about, obviously, you're, you have to be clear you're talking about B2B or B2C. Let's say you're talking B2B. So you're, you're figuring out how to do fulfillment to the mm-hmm. Kirana stores. Right. It's B2B. Right. Firstly, are you clear that you're talking that that's what you're solving. Yes, okay. Let's assume they've gone past that, that you're solving for fulfillment to the Kirana stores. What is the problem you're solving there? Are you solving the problem of replenishment, of price, of of getting... And replenishment means I can replenish your inventory three times a week or five times a week. Are you saying that you'll get it cheaper for them? Are you saying you'll get them goods they don't get today? Hmm. Hmm. Or are you saying right. you give them goods which today get spoiled, which are hmm. perishable, you're going to get them today. Hmm. So these are four different problems. Hmm. The problem with a lot of us is we love to blend them in. And the moment hmm. we blend them in, we have created a multi-headed monster. Which is and let me do everything. Let me do, either let me do everything or I think my solution fits all. Actually, hmm. I'll go to the extent of saying, Vani, even if your solution fits all, don't say it fits all. Hmm. Right. Even a utopian right. solution, fake it that it is only solving one problem and you might, if you're successful, come to problem two, three, and four later. As an investor, I would much rather hear that, that you're solving one and you'll come to two, three, four later, rather than you saying, you know, I'm so great that I've solved one, two, three, four, all of them, and here I am. Fantastic. So you're saying be sharp in what you're offering. And in being sharp, you are likely going to be um, a lot more appealing to the target audience that you are talking to than trying to broad-base your offering and saying, look, I do everything for everybody. Precisely. Precisely. And why would you say that, Rohit? Isn't the common fallacy always that, oh, if I were to very narrowly define uh, what my offering is, if I were of the four things that you mentioned, for example, if I were to offer, if I were to pick only one, would I not limit my market? Would I not becoming? Will, will I not become less appealing to an investor? Should I not be telling an investor, look, I have such a large market, I'm doing everything for everyone, therefore invest invest in me. Yeah, no, Vani, it doesn't happen like that. I think investors are are pretty clear people. At least when they come to a meeting, they're very clear. And I'm assuming this entire conversation, Vani, is in the context of early stage startups. We are obviously not talking yes. about startups. Yes, that's right. Once they yes. big, they've earned the right to do everything. And then, yes. actually, then it's the other way around. The investors are trying to earn a right to participate in them. So I'm talking about mm-hmm. early stage investors when the, the founders and the management are trying to earn a right to get your capital, not when the investors are trying to earn a right to be on your capital. If that be the case, um, you want your clarity of a product roadmap and I'm using the word product roadmap rather generally but you want a clarity of the product roadmap because you're a startup you're obviously constrained with resources you're obvi- it's not that you can't have a vision to solve everything that you want to solve but it's just that you want to optimize your resources at finitely that specific thing which is the first stop on the rail track you want to solve that first you once you solve for that first you extend your life 
and by extending your life, you get to the next real stop. And then you get a third real stop. You might solve five things, but you want to start with one, two, three, four, and then get to really present it that way to your incoming investor, to the people you're wooing in, that this is how I'm seeing it. And a lot of times what happens is investors hear that and they say, yeah, that's right. But don't you think you should be doing one and three together? And you could say, yeah, I have it in my mind. It obviously depends on resources. That's a far better approach than saying, no, 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 I'm going to do one, two, three, four, five altogether. You're better off saying I'm sequencing it as one, two, three, four, five. And if I have resources, I can attempt to do one and three together. That will, it'll find more buyers, so to speak. Fantastic. And in doing so, what is your advice to um to the B2B companies that come to you or anybody who comes to you with a with a, with a pitch deck or how do you look for defensibility in their proposition? How do you, because a lot of stuff, there is just so much stuff out there, there's so much technology out there that to be able to truly present something which is a unique offering, which the world hasn't seen before is very, very difficult. So how do you build defensibility around what you offer? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Vani. Actually, that question is the make or break in my mind. See, uh, and, and not just because it's a question about have you created that defensibility. The question is really, are you even thinking of that? So I think the first thing that would come to my mind is that when I'm talking to somebody, are they even thinking like that? Are they even thinking yeah. of creating a defensibility? Trust me, a lot of people don't think like that. They are thinking about getting an innovation and bringing that innovation to life. I think as important as it is bringing an innovation to life is about how to give that life scale and form. Right. And, and people who are thinking of birthing the innovation and feeding the innovation and then growing, scaling it, obviously know that while you were even working at it, there are 50, 100 other people who are working at it. And therefore, what will make it succeed, in your words, the defensibility mode, is actually how fast are you able to move? And hmm. how fast you're able to move is driven by, are you genetically even programmed to think about growth and think about velocity and think about scale? Some founders are, some aren't. And those who aren't, uh, it's fine if you aren't, but it's important that you're surrounding yourself with either a co-founder or you know, your early team that's coming on that can complement that thinking. Because if, 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 the, if the lead thinking in the in the startup, if the lead thinking is only around innovation and not about scaling beyond that, that's the start of the problem. That's the start of the yeah. fact that sensibility, a moat will not come in. Now, let's say, yes, you are indeed, you either have it in you or you are surrounded with the right people. And if you're thinking right, I think then it's all about, are you thinking commercial innovation? As important as IP innovation is, I think equally, if not more important, commercial innovation is. How will you take it to market? How will you how will you drive how will you make your customers have a friction free, a frictionless buying experience? Why will you how will you drive it in a way where adoption will be quicker? And that's I think I think the moat comes even more with that mm-hmm. than it comes with an IP and an innovation. Very nice. So what you're saying is that innovation is only one part of it. Don't come to me with only an innovation. Also think about how are you going to make this a commercial success in, it could be the speed with which you take it to the market, with which you get, uh, you know, a first mover advantage. And it could be the many other elements. So you're saying it could be in the customer experience. It could be in the user interface. 
it could be in uh, maybe in the way i deliver the service it could be many other aspects of the mix where i'm able to form some aspects somewhere i'm able to get some defensibility where i'm able to build a mood and in all of this rohit what do you see the role of building the brand to be do you often find uh, you know b2b uh companies talking the language of brand and marketing where do you think the role of that figures yeah in the yeah, b2b world <laughs> it, it doesn't come naturally vani i'll be very candid it doesn't come naturally and partly it's understandable because uh somewhere and this goes also to the previous question you asked somewhere in their mind it's all about innovation and they're yeah. driven like that and for those few where brand comes in they truly look at brand as a mode and they truly want to invest in it and and i'm glad you asked this because that commercial when i talked about that commercial that that in that defensibility mode creation commercial galloping is important a big part about commercial galloping is do you have a brand are you invested in it are you making people understand you're differentiated do you stand for something beyond what mm-hmm. your product stands for i think <clears throat> it doesn't come naturally at all it's not easy it doesn't come naturally your resources are obviously prioritized towards the product development towards market access and not towards brand brand is the last thing on the mind so it doesn't come naturally but for those few who for whom it does come and if they are able to balance the priorities right uh, it takes them a huge distance huge huge distance hmm. and and i've seen and, yes yeah i've seen i've seen founders who not only believe in it they talk about it and they talk about it to investors saying very well you know i'm investing in my brand and this is why i'm investing in my brand and this is why it's important to me and hmm. you sitting on the seat of an investor you're like yeah the person gets it he he really hmm. understands why it's important fantastic fantastic and when they talk about building the brand um what what kind of specific elements rohit do you think uh, I mean what do they talk about or what do you think is an important for a b2b founder to think about in terms of building the brand you know one of the very simple things i tell uh, a lot of the companies that i work with is that does your website like you know exactly what you started with is your proposition even clear on your website let's say somebody were to hear of you or if you were to go and meet a prospective client what are they likely to do they are first likely to search for you on google land on your website is your website going to amply be able to explain with credible uh, with credibility what you offer do you have some testimonials over there do you have uh, you know some bit about why me why am why am i the best do you feel uh, do you feel adequate number of founders talk that language about what website what my website is like or what kind of collaterals have i developed or how am i reaching out to prospective clients yeah and again a mixed bag bani they do uh, on the website many of them do mm-hmm. i think where where challenges start emerging or where the difference between the the ones who really get it versus the ones who don't really get it is as you communicate across multiple cha- channels from your website to your social media handles to your proposals you're making to your clients to to how you're propose how you are positioning yourself to your employees there is a there's a disconnect there and Very and, nice. and as early stage as you might be i think those gaps start showing out right um and 
especially B2B customers when they are dealing with a startup, and I know many who talk to me all the time. So when a B2B customer is sitting across the table with the startup, one of the biggest things going on in their mind is risk. Right. startup, it is a risky proposition. Am I going to trust them? Are they even going to be around? Are they even going to be able to support the product or the offering? Right. What if they are not around? If they're not around, am I be am I going to be able to handle it on my own? Am I giving them something which is so high end and mission critical for me, and therefore I'm risking myself with it? So I think as you think about those things, what do customers do? They want to know how your employees are looking at you. They want to know how you're talking about yourself. They know are you obviously financially backed long enough? And that's where branding and positioning and marketing start crossing the lines from just being about uh, talking about yourself, talking about mm-hmm. your long-term sustainability, your long-term mm-hmm. viability. And it becomes very important, very, very important. Actually, so much so that the younger you are, the more you need to evoke trust, then the more mature and stabler you are because then trust kind of comes along the way. It's a byproduct. But when you're very early on, you, there, mm-hmm. you need the unfair advantage of being able to evoke trust. Very nice. So there are two big things you said over here, Rohit. One, you said, are your employees even talking the same language? And this is something that I hear very often. In fact, um, some of the bigger companies that I've worked with as well, you know, even 300 crores plus, I've seen, if you were to ask different people within the organization on what business are you in or what are you solving for, you get different replies Mm -hmm. across the board. And this in itself is the start point of great confusion. When you're not clear about what is the problem that you're solving for, like you said, do we even have one version of truth within the company on what is it that we stand for? What is it that we are all collectively setting out to do? What is our brand proposition? Is there there one version of truth? And the second thing that you talked about was this element of risk. If you're a new startup and you've approached me, then of course I'm worried. You know, like you said, are these guys even going to be around? So how does a young startup, what does a young startup do? What would be your advice to your young B2B company? Very bright founders, great proposition, uh, strong technology backing. How should they earn the trust of their potential clients when they're pitching against a big established global firm. Yeah, yeah. So, one of this problem today is uh, relatively easier than it was, say, 10 years ago when, um, when buyers and large corporates, that is, buyers wouldn't even want to entertain the thought of innovation. And therefore, mm-hmm. and, and if they do, they would take innovation from the standard big companies. Mm-hmm. A Microsoft and SAP, you know, so on and so forth. The Salesforce.com are the ones who will come and give them innovation on a platter. Right, right. But now I think the realization, even with the big corporates, is so high that innovation is akin to my ability to work with startups. So that's a huge step forward. They already know they need to work with startups, and I can't tell nice. you how many. Actually, there'll be fewer. There'll be fewer names we have of large corporates who would not want to work with startups than those who want to. And this number was inverse. This problem was the other right. way. So, so that's right. a great thing that they're willing yes. to. They understand they're so important for, for the innovation uh, headset, which otherwise cannot be created internally in a large company. Having said that, now they're dealing with several startups. I think the comfort they want is more than anything else. I love the innovation. 
can I mm. can I control the downside if things don't go right? Mm. Mm. So they love the upside. They want to control the downside. Mm. And what startups who do it well do it well by knowing that that the client is not just trying to understand features and features and features. Mm. They're also trying to understand. Agar aisa nahi hoga, to kya hoga? Correct. If I don't deliver Correct. this, then what happens? If Correct. if I'm if I delay the the launch date, what does it mean right. for them? So the right. buyer wants to hear that language. They don't want to hear how good you are. They get it. By the way, the reason you're seated there is they get it. Right. What we want to now right. go into is not features; it's governance. Hmm. What startups do is they switch from features to price discussion. Right. Honestly, price matters least. It feels it right. matters a lot, but it's noise in the system. Mm. The order of importance is: they get you in for price. Mm. Sorry, they get you in for, for the innovation. They get you in for features or innovation. Right. They yeah. sign you up for governance for the downside mm. management. Somewhere in between those two, they also ended up touching price. Right. Very nice. If if, Very nice. if if you get that, what you realize is, price is the is is a hygiene. You got to discuss it. You got to get past it. But that right. is not why a deal will happen or not happen. You got in because they loved you for your innovation. That's why you're seated on the table. They will sign you if you can give them a comfort that you can do downside management or governance management well for them. You won't let them I down. very nice and in the downside management rohit would you say that the relationship that i am able to build with the guy opposite would be critical i mean when do we when do we feel most vulnerable when we feel uh, oh gosh i don't know the guy opposite will i be able to have a, a confession or a, you know heart to heart with the guy i pick up the phone on in in what way do i mitigate risk so we, you know like you're talking about managing the downside i'm a young startup i may not have too many use cases i may have only two clients that i've worked with so far so i don't have too many case studies to be able to show you i can show you my background i can tell you look uh, i've come from great colleges i've done great work i understand this um i've worked with a couple of i've delivered this tech for a couple of companies here are the two case studies i have what else can i give you to give you assurances on downside management how do i make sure rohit feels yes these guys can can be trusted to do business with yeah the downside yeah. is not going to be very large how do i manage that vani there there's several ways and and you you would have heard of all of them um so there's several ways in which one can do this from not firstly and foremost comes being flexible with a large right. very nice client right flexibility means if they tell you that they like you but they would want you to work through a large channel partner you sh- you know you you're clear in your mind i'm not saying you agree or disagree but at least you know that that possibility exists right and, and you should be ready to discuss it it shouldn't be that you're sitting in a meeting and you're taken like you know lights in the eyes and you're frozen and you don't even know where that question came from that's a common right. you know right. where where do you you know will you work through a large partner of mine because that large partner of mine gives me confidence till the time i haven't tested your ip and your innovation i want to you know work through them so from okay. something as simple as that to something as as not so simple as where they want you to 
um, give them, in, in computer science words, they want you to give them the source code. They want you to put mm-hmm. the code in a, in a, in a escrow facility mm-hmm. because they want to know that tomorrow you aren't around. If three years later you aren't around, you die before three years, they need to still run their business on your product or technology and therefore they need access to that. And, and that's not an unfair ask. That's a fair ask. You are a startup. Anything could happen in your life. And indeed, if they're switching their their, their business to your technology, your product, your whatever, they do want to know that you can, you know, they have a workaround you being there or not. So the point I'm trying to get to is you need to be flexible. You need to know that these are valid questions. You can't be offended by somebody asking you about these things. These are These are puts and takes of doing business with large companies. Yes, very nice. Very nice. And finally, what would you say, Rohit, this is my last question to you. Given that in a a B2B setup, when I'm pitching to a B2B client, I always have to think about the vast number of stakeholders that I must address because my pitch presentation is not going to be to only the CIO or maybe only the CFO. I probably have to win trust with the CIO and the CFO and maybe even the company secretary and the CTO and the CMO, how do I do that? You know, that's, that's I think, that's honestly most paramount. And then this goes to commercial clarity. I think uh, a lot of us end up starting businesses, creating startups, and we aren't ready to be aware or we aren't aware that there'll be so many stakeholders involved in any decision and therefore, Forget even whether or not you're managing the relationships or not. You're not even aware of the frame of reference those buyers are coming mm-hmm. from or those stakeholders are coming from. So when a CEO very asks you a question, he or she is coming from a very different standpoint than when a yes. CTO is asking or a chief procurement officer is asking. And, and you're not able to gauge it. <clears throat> and therefore, a very simple but a practical thought I have for startups is, it is in your early stages, it's very difficult to have the vocabulary with which you can deal with all these people. Mm. I think it's perfectly fine, therefore, to bring in, at least in the first few deals, some partners with you who can help you with that. That partner can be yeah. not an accounting firm if you're dealing with CFOs. That partner can be a large technology company when you're dealing with CIOs or CTOs. It's perfectly fine. Those guys know it. They mm. will ask for a channel representation fee, and that's fine. They will add tremendous value. Mm. So unless and until on your team you have the ability to manage a multi-stakeholder relationship or unless you're dealing with a client who really is, you know, which is a rare situation where the client says, hey, it's a one-buyer decision, which really ever happens to be. It's always better to have a partner who is able to take you and then give you more than, um, you know, just a single dimension on which you are comfortable taking that deal. But this partner can add the five other dimensions. Fabulous. Fabulous, Rohit. All right. That's all I have. Thank you so much for this. This was tremendously helpful. I hope you liked my show. And if you did, please do consider subscribing. I also have a YouTube channel by the same name, Marketing by Vani. Please do check that out too. Thank you. (laughs) How badly can she screw up one line? So I did screw up. My YouTube channel is called Marketing with Vani, the same name as this podcast. 